Welcome to the Biz and Mayhem podcast, where we talk about the mayhem in our lives and how to get ahead in business and your career. This is Chris Batchelor, and I'm here with my co-host, Tara Parker. Let's get started. Hey, so welcome to another episode of the Biz and Mayhem podcast. This is Tara, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris. Chris, how are you doing? What's up, everybody? I'm doing good, and uh, we are... Uh, just trugging along in another week of the pandemic. Pandemic. Isn't that a, is it pandemic, scandemic, plandemic? I don't know what we're really calling it these days. There seems to be a lot of words for it. Is there a word for pre-election-demic? I think that's what it is, is plandemic, scandemic. <laughs> I think it all goes hand in hand. Scandemic. I've never heard that. I kind of like that though. It's uh, It's got a nice ring to it. See if you, uh, we've, we'll get to that in a second because one of the groups I'm on on Facebook for my own personal pleasure if we'll put it that way is calling it the scamdemic that's like that is awesome that's that's fabulous but we'll get to that well, in a you, moment i guess you no. know what's what's really bothering me is i'm seeing some really well-educated people put up some really crazy stuff uh, around the election around this pandemic and it seems like they're just kind of throwing logic and fact out the window and everybody's just posting about their feelings and you know forget you know forget that anything has to be based on fact but yeah, I it's, think, it's pretty nuts. I think there's a, when, if, you, if you look through scientific studies, and I've looked through them because that's a whole lot of my master's degrees and master's of science. So we were, we were combing through scientific study after scientific study. And you got to be really careful with some of the stuff that you read because some science, scientific studies, they do have a lot of uh, personal bias. You know, it's your theory. You want to prove that theory. So you kind of start being selective, though you don't really realize right. it, which is why the only way to gain credibility in a study is to have other people recreate it using the exact same data sets that you started with, and they have to come up with very similar or identical results as what you came up with. And so I think people mm -hmm. forget that. So when somebody says, we did this study and it's the only study, it's like, well, that's not really credible. And so yeah. it's it, there's a lot of information out there. It's it's all skewed up one way or another. And, you know, it's there, you're right. There's a lot of emotions out there on, in social media because somebody went out there and said, you know, feelings matter ultimately. And mostly, and that's not exactly the feelings do matter, but not as a, we don't use our feelings to make determinations. You know, there's, there's a, there's some guidelines there and that's what facts are for. And, but facts well, can be skewed. You know, I had a friend of mine post the thing about the pandemic and, you know, and how, you know, we're not doing a very good job of containing this and all that. And I said, you know, let me just look at the numbers for myself. And so, you know, there's roughly 331 million people in the United States, right? Mm -hmm. um, from, I forget what the last census or whatever, but, you know, the, the number is roughly 330 million, uh, give or take some. And there's been over 6 million confirmed cases uh, in the United States. Right. Of right. this flu. And you think about this, this, this disease has an R naught factor of over two. And right. so what that means is if you're, if you know, if you have it, you're roughly going to infect two or more people, um, you know, in, in normal situations. Right. Normal so if you think about that, mm -hmm. yeah. And so if it has an R naught factor of less than one then the disease kind of dies out, um, if it has an R naught factor of, of one, then it just kind of goes on forever. Um, you know, with the R 
not factor of two, um, you know, it has that exponential growth. Well, if you think about it, we have 331 million people in this country with a disease that has such a high contagious factor. Um, basically, everybody should have gotten it at some point. Right. I mean, I think you would call it a win if only half the population got it. But yeah. 6 million people getting COVID is a far cry from 150 million people, right? And right. that's not even half. That's that's no. less than half. Yeah. So, you know, in the, the big grand scheme of things, I think we've done a pretty damn good job of containing this thing. You know, they, they lose sight of the facts and, yeah. and they, they breed into what the media says and, and this negative story that, you know, is constantly churning in the media. Right. And, uh, you know, well, it's, just, the, it's really sad. Well, I think the media definitely needed something to grasp onto and get their own um, their own viewership up. If I mean, if you look at, I don't know if you've ever filled out a Nielsen rating in the past, Chris, and I, I've done them and they ask you about who you watch for news media and they, you know, they follow the credits just like any other show does. And they make changes to their programming to increase the viewing population. In the last few years, I have noticed, and I don't watch the news anymore. I, I can't handle it. It just puts me in such an irritable mood that nobody likes me, including myself. But yeah. prior to shutting the news off, I was watching a, a major news broadcasting um, organization. It was my favorite one to watch because I was lazy and didn't want to change the TV channel. And the last few years has been a huge push on the flu. The flu is terrible. The flu is dangerous. It's killing people. Get your flu shot. Get your flu shot was the big push. But they couldn't get people scared. Nobody was paying attention. We're all like, it's the flu. People die from it. People live from it, whatever. Perfect. We're desensitized to yeah. it. But they got this new thing that nobody's heard of. And there's a newness that goes along with something new. It's just like a newborn. You know, the newborn's exciting until the newborn becomes like old news. And everybody's like, oh, that's cute. And also time to move on. And that's kind of that. what I think the news has done, what the media has done with this. And then you had the social media angle to it where you put out one little piece of information and then 10 other people blow it up for you on social media. Right. And so I, I do think that we have gone above and over and beyond the need for panic on this thing. I just, you know, to your point, if it was super, it was as, as contagious as what they're trying to claim there, we would look more like the movie contagion, which would be much more impressive and scary to me if we could be compared right. to that movie, but we can't be the survivability rate is too high. It's contagious. It's like the flu and the cold. And so, I do think this has been blown way out of proportion, but I do think there's a lot of people that are causing more issues and more panic based upon their their emotions that they feel behind it. There's not a whole lot of self-management going on with this thing. Yeah, and I, I mean, I certainly don't want to downplay the the um, seriousness of this thing because people do die from it. Um, but, you know, it's certainly uh, it's certainly not as is all grim uh as the media makes it out to be so yeah, i agree you know yeah. think for yourself people do just Please. a little bit of research and try and put things in perspective this is the newsroom the first article i have to talk about today is called uh scary chatbots scary and chatbots. uh this is really um kind of uh you know new world problems kind of thing but <laughs> new world uh, or third world or first world no <laughs> very kind of very world? much first world uh, so facebook had uh did an experiment and they put some artificial intelligence robots uh out there on the facebooks uh in places that you couldn't see um you know to as a way to do sort of an experiment they they started talking to each other well artificial um, intelligence is is really machine learning 
uh, but the machines decided that there were there were optimized ways for them to talk to each other. So they developed their own language and then they basically started talking to each other in their own languages. And so then Facebook kind of said, well, this is weird and freaky and we didn't expect this. So they shut it down. Um, but oh, this is, I think, um, you know, more uh, more of things to come in the future, basically, as as this technology develops, uh, because it certainly has developed quite a bit. And, you know, now we have a lot of processing power for relatively cheap. So I think we can can see more of this coming. But uh, this is an early failure when the machines start talking to each other. So is, does it, this reminds me of that movie, iRobot, where the machines are, they kind of turn against you. Isn't that that movie where you have artificial intelligence and it figures out, oh, hey, we can take you out. So, oh, yeah. So let's. Yeah. So I find this yep. to be not it's, the most ideal thing, maybe. Yeah. So if you. <laughs> A little bit of a, you know, if you like technology, go and check this out. The the oh the actual conversation between the the bots is very funny. So it is funny. That's oh my gosh, that's crazy. What, right. what will we come up with next? I don't know. Talk to us about <laughs> Sleepy Joe. What's the next one here? Oh my Joe gosh. versus the teleprompter. You know, I I like to play with words and and I get to write and stuff and I get to read and things and so. I had been seeing this stuff about Joe Biden and I'm not a proponent for Joe Biden, but I do want to give him a chance to hear him out. And so he is, I'm sure everybody is aware he's taking a lot of heat. His campaign is taking a lot of grief over his use of teleprompters. And now they're trying to say, they, well, they won't say whether or not he uses a teleprompter. They won't confirm or deny, despite the fact there appears to be some evidence out there that Joe himself has inadvertently given. Uh, but the Trump campaign, the Trump camp is definitely on Biden for basically using the teleprompter during Q&A sessions where he's supposed to be on his toes, thinking productively and able to answer questions on the spot. And mm -hmm. I've, I've seen several incidences where Joe Biden has not done very well with a teleprompter. And people are like, that's his comprehension. That's his, he's got dementia, you know, he's falling apart. And it's like, I think he just couldn't read a teleprompter. You know, to me, it's what it looks like. And now they're trying to say, He's not, they won't say whether or not he's using a teleprompter. They're, you know, the, the, the Biden camp is saying, we're not going to have Fox News, who happen to be the ones that were really probing the matter. You know, the, the spokesperson for Joe Biden's Trump, for Joe Biden's camp rather said, we're not going to, we're not going to address that just to give Trump's campaign a, any pleasure. And, you know, they're, they were just trying to push it back onto Trump versus saying, yeah, he uses a teleprompter. You know, he just he likes to be as equipped as possible or he likes to be as prepared as possible. He likes to try and come up with notes that he might be able to use and, you know, gets in the moment and tries to look through the notes. You know, they're not coming up with that kind of an answer. It's just like we're not going to say whether or not he does or doesn't, because clearly it's it's Trump just trying to well, detract I mean, from on. the actual if thing. You're, if you're in front of the media and, you know, 2020, you're going to use a teleprompter at some point. I mean, the well, president yeah. uses it for all of his speeches. I mean, presumably Joe used teleprompters when he was vice president, at, you know, for eight years. Right. Right. I right. Mean, I, I think this is where uh, he slipped up. Right. And he read one of the lines that he wasn't supposed to read on the teleprompter. Well, there was he introduced. There was one where his wife was supposed to speak. And instead of she speak, he's like, I'm Sandy Biden, whatever his wife's name is. I'm such and such Biden, Joe Biden's husband. And I was like. Uh, or Joe Biden's wife. I'm like, I think that was her line. And I saw that one. It's like, dude, you do not good with the teleprompter. So do, we, do we call Joe uh, the anchorman? Is right. it anchorman Joe? Because, you know, in that movie, the anchorman, you know, Will Ferrell would read anything that was written on the teleprompter, right? right? And he had that, 
that famous line where he'd say, go F you San Diego. And then everybody hated him and his career hit rock bottom and he got fired. And Well, there's the other part where the, I mean, he's had several train wreck situations where you're like clearly not using the teleprompter properly. And one of them recently was, okay, move it up for me now. You know, one of those, like, can you move the, he literally spoke out loud. So I don't know if his inner monologue doesn't work very well or whatever right. signals he's supposed to use to be like, you know, move the prompt up. I can't see it. But he's had several foes. Foe, he's had several. Well, that's the um, teleprompter guy's fault. Yeah. So for those that aren't aware, um, normally off stage, you have somebody who's running the teleprompter because the teleprompter is a piece of glass that goes in front of the camera. Um, so you can look directly at the camera and you can see these words on the glass, mm -hmm. but the camera can't see the words because of the way the glass is angled. Right. Um, so somebody off stage is running this thing and basically controlling the scrolling speed or pausing it or moving it to the next section. And, you know, if the presenter and the person running the teleprompter are kind of synced up, this happens seamlessly and you really even can't tell, you know, right. anything's going on. But if somebody's, you know, not paying attention and you get to the bottom and you don't know what your next line is, um, then you <laughs> can really get yourself in a jam. Well, it's knowing that next line. He Biden does not ad lib very well. He's, I think, he's one of those very highly polished politicians. He's been in politics for almost five decades now, and so when it comes down to just thinking on his toes and coming up with the words out of nowhere, he really has a difficult time doing that. And one example is given in the article, um, and you, if you look at the show notes, you can see this article. Where, and it's, it, and this is the quote when he got kind of tripped up on his teleprompter was, and in addition to that, in addition to that, we have to make sure that we. We are in a position that we we are, we'll all let that me, that second thing, I've spoken on that enough. And it's just like, what did you just say? He sounds like, that's the he sounded like one of the bots. He sounded like <laughs> right. one of the bots from the first story. But that's, and that's the actual quote. I mean, I read it word for, and it's hard to read because it doesn't flow. Yeah. So my brain's well, like, no, no, go fix yeah, that. He's, first. Not, but his, he's not thinking on his feet. To, to no. me, this is all just silliness. I mean, you know, whether or not the guy can you know, present well from a teleprompter has no bearing on how well good he's going to do as a president. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll speak to how good he's going to do at presidential, you know, speeches oh, and addresses, but yeah. I mean, you know, come, come the end of the day, making strategic decisions for the company or for the company, strategic <laughs> decisions for the country. Um, you know, I think the teleprompter is just kind of a minor thing, but uh, well, I, don't know. I, just, I just feel like everybody's nitpicking on everybody right now, and it it really kind of yeah. bothers me that that's where the level that we've gone to is we've got to nitpick on everything. Yeah, and well, and it's not as though Trump is the most um, well-spoken rhetorician by any means. He's not my favorite to listen to when he's not scripted specifically and yeah, highly polished. I mean, he, he gives great speeches when he sticks to the speech. Yeah, Once I mean, everybody does, something right? Like a I mean, right. You know, he's no Kennedy for speeches. Oh, no, know, for sure. No, but no. I don't know. I, I think, you know, as we move on in technology, the people watching a long form speech is going to be fewer and fewer between. Right. Right. I mean, you know, I, press conferences, you know, are generally pretty short. And then you go into question and answer session and that none of that's on a teleprompter. So. Right. Well, I don't no, know. People I mean, like, um, well, like Kaylee McEnany, I'm saying her last name wrong. She's the um press secretary now and she's awesome she does she's but that she was hired to think on her feet think quick respond quick articulate quick that's what she was hired to do specifically because that's what that job entails the yeah. president's job isn't necessarily think on your feet quick we do expect that person to think about things strategize evaluate 
go through a couple of different um, processes before making a decision. So I'm not, you know, like you, I don't necessarily believe that being able to use a teleprompter is all that big of a deal or not. Right. Um, I would like, I don't know, he's I just, I just like, you know, let it go, people. It's like, you know, other issues that have been strangled by either the left uh-huh. or, <laughs> excuse me, the right. Pick your battles, pick better battles. This is, this is getting kind of silly. That's, let's, let's find something yeah, good to nitpick with. We're definitely down in the weeds, you know. Yeah. What's the next article here? Unmasked group emerges on oh, social media. So it's funny because I'm not a big mask proponent. I've made that clear a couple of times, but I'm not going to go out and you know become the next viral sensation because I won't wear a mask. Right. If I'm if it's if it's made clear that I have to wear it in order to shop, um, fine. But otherwise, I won't wear it. And so, I don't see as many people out there doing that. And to me, it's to each their own. You make your decisions. It's your health. It's it's it this. It's just one of those things I think everybody should have their own say-so in it. But there's groups that are emerging on Facebook now. where Right? So like you'd see other protests that are out there and being made famous through the national media market. Um, Our market, our local area, they are putting together groups to go and peacefully protest um, the mask regulations, the mask mandates for the um, Cedric County and, and mostly Kansas area. So these groups are coming out and what they're doing is they're they're pushing for make your own choice. If you want to wear a mask, you know, let people wear masks who want to wear masks. Those who don't want to wear masks shouldn't have to wear masks. And there's, there's just a couple of groups out there that are working together to um, just put together these, these organized protests and then mark down which businesses are enforcing the mask mandate and which ones are not, despite their, mm-hmm. whatever they've got posted as a sign out in front of their, their front doors or whatever their, um, oh, what's that communication system in the store called where they announce everything over the, the store. Thank you. Oh yeah. my gosh. My allergies are starting to, that's why I'm having such issues right now. Now I can't think. So I just thought this was really interesting. I've been looking at them. They're growing in support. Uh, they are not at all as negative as what I had expected. I, I, I joined these groups to kind of get an idea of what they were doing. Because mm-hmm. um, I was expecting a lot of judgment and a lot of cattiness and a lot of negativity. And it's really not about that. It's more about, you know, just let us do whatever it is we want to do. If we want to wear masks, great. If businesses want to encourage the mask, great. But don't force it on everybody. That's not the... The, in their opinion that they're expressing, it's not the idea of freedom that they everybody signed up for. So I just thought right. this was kind of interesting how these oh. groups are are forming and coming out. And some are more private than others. Uh, there was a conversation started one group where, well, this isn't private. I don't feel safe talking here because it's not private. I don't want anybody to share my opinion of the mask in a place where I could be judged for it. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting, too, is that some people are afraid to speak out because of the well, backlash you can receive I, from people. I think at the very bottom of the conversation is the roots of the conversation are that they they don't believe that the government is listening to what they want. And, yes. you know, by and large in this country, we are run by the people, not right. by the politician or the aristocrats. And so um, I think that's the foundation of uh, this unrest that's coming out. So right. um, this group appears to specifically be in Cedric County here in Kansas. And yes. so I'm I'm assuming that there's other groups in other places, but uh, yeah, know, there's, it's, it's um, very interesting. It is. It's There's one group that is more resist the mandate. I think it's the name of another group. I don't think they're Kansas based. I think they're nationwide based. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't <clears throat> spent as much time looking at that group because obviously it's not local. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was really interesting the way that they're quietly emerging. They're not loud and they're not insulting. They're, I mean, of course you've got some people in there that are, but just overall, it's just a real quiet, 
the silent majority is slowly rising up to be seen. It's kind well, of well, it it'll be interesting to see if any of this stuff makes it onto the ballot in November. It's uh, yeah, that, that's when the people really get to speak, right? Yeah, you would hope so. I don't know. It depends on mail-in ballots and <laughs> how fast will they be heard is kind of the, yeah. the result of that. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that's, right. I thought that was interesting. Up next, uh, Up you got next. something here from the Washington Times. So the, the Washington Times, obviously we all know that Kamala Harris, Kamala, not Kamala, Kamala yeah, Don't Harris. be racist now, remember, from the last show. Oh don't be racist if you say your name wrong. Which is funny because I just corrected somebody the other day. I'm like, that's not how you say it. Don't say it that way. I, so, I think it just brings a new definition of what racist really means, right? Oh, gosh. I mean. Uh, we could talk for an hour on that. Let's skip that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Harris, I'm going to go by her last name because I can there pronounce that. Harris is the VP uh, pick for Joe Biden. And it's interesting because there's a lot of people who are um, very upset by this pick, not because she's. Um, of any non-American descent, let's put it that way. But because during the Kavanaugh issue that was raised up a year or two ago, she was talking about how, um, what is the gal's name that accused Kavanaugh? Do you remember? I Oh my gosh, I can't remember her name now. Uh, no, was, um, wasn't it Christine or Christine Chris, or yeah, something like that? Something like that. A well-to-do doctor, a very, um, very successful woman in her own right. And um, Harris had said, I don't care what she says. I believe everything she says. And the Me Too movement really pushed. And everybody's like, no matter what woman says what, you have to believe the woman. And I'm none of, I think that's a very dangerous claim. But that was the claim that Harris was making is I believe her and I support her. And any woman who comes forward. Well, Sleepy Joe has had a lot of women come forward to say um, he's done some creepy, freaky things. And he's been accused of his own issues, just as Trump has. Yep. Um, but that doesn't seem to be on Harris's plate. Well, but that doesn't fit the political agenda of the day, right? Yeah, it seems like right. the Me Too movement thing has just gone up in smoke and everybody's yeah. just conveniently wanted to forget about it because it would mean that their their person, you know, Joe Biden, would be out of the running and they'd have to right. pick somebody else that, you know, but I, I don't yeah. know. Is there is there anybody in that national level on the on the Democratic side that has a clean enough record, to, you know, that could actually run? I mean, you know, this is the party that gave there us... Was. You know the Clinton fiasco. Um, well, there you know, there was a couple on the as the as we the, had the larger group to choose from. There were a couple, uh, a small handful of people on that group that had no um, little skeletons like this in the closet, and they were all women. Yeah. Not one woman had one person, individual, male or female, whatever you want to call it. Not one of them had one person come through and say they were sexually inappropriate with me at one point in time, be it sexual misconduct, sexual harassment, sexual whatever. Uh, not one, one female had anybody come forth to say this has been an issue. And then you have this, this person come up who Harris was very clear on. I believe the women that have said things about other guys. And now she's, that's been written off. No yeah. big deal at all. And so I found that interesting. And she's taking a lot of heat for the hypocrisy behind that in the Me Too movement. Um, I it was my understanding that the uh, Justin Jacob Blake, she uh, expressed her, her pride to him in his situation for coming out of his situation so strong after being um, in his little ordeal with the cops, mm -hmm. uh, which I don't want to break that situation down at all. But to some of the points that some people are making on Facebook, there's a female out there in the world who feel who has accused Blake of um, some sort of sexual inappropriateness, be it assault, rape, battery, whatever. And Harris goes to him and says, I'm proud of you for coming through this. You're, mm -hmm. you're, you're a great inspiration to people. And now there's this female that's like, wait a second, I thought you said 
you believed me just because I say so. Right. And so her stand, and this was some of the concerns that people had when it was whispered that she would be one of the picks is that this bad PR that's going to follow her is going to be hard to control and redirect from. And it looks like it's, you know, there, I'm sure it's the Republicans that are going after it thinking, Hey, this doesn't, this doesn't look good for you guys. How do you expect us? I mean, what else is she going to flip flop on? Right. Well, I, I think she's got a pretty good record of flip flopping and, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, it comes up to the voters to decide whether or not that's a big enough issue for them or not. And, well, doesn't um, that say something about voters who also kind of follow that? If you, if you, you know, you follow the Me Too movement, you follow Harris, and then all of a sudden she flips the stance, and you flip the stance with her. That's kind of scary thinking. It's, it's like you well, said before, think for yourself. Those, those, are, those are people who are followers. They're clearly <laughs> not thinking for themselves, and they're just yeah. going along with whatever the party line is. And, you know, that's that. And, and there are people in the world that are, that are like that, you know, for better that's or for true. worse. That's, there are just, some people that yeah. have a hard time, you know, having those decisions on their own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I get that. I, I, I might be, a, I think you and I are probably both a little bit different in that if we, you know, we vote for what the platform is, regardless if it, it agrees with what our political party affiliation says, like what well, is best I, for the people? For, for That's me, what I vote for. Me. Yeah. I mean, for me, what bothers me this about this whole election is that, you have a very left left a very right right and there's no real centric uh candidate i mean you have you have the libertarian party candidate in the middle but you know traditionally the third party candidates whether they be libertarian or independent or whatnot they get you know three two four five percent of the vote whatever it is Um, and that's certainly not enough to move the needle Um, i mean it is enough to move a swing state either left or right uh, yeah, because you're taking yeah. votes that may have gone to one side or the other. But, um, you know, to me, there's no moderate, um, there's no moderate option. And, and I really believe that the reason why there's no moderate option is that I believe the media plays into the fact that it's almost impossible to have a moderate candidate because first they won't get any airtime. So you won't <laughs> hear about them, you know, and, and I think that that has a lot to play into it. So, yeah. Uh, you well, know. people love the high-end drama. It's, it's anything that's got big, bold, high flavor attached to it. It's easy to sell one way or another because people want to be one side or the other. They don't want to be part of that middle group. Um, yeah, I mean, they want some really, really well-defined boundaries, despite how well, um, how disordered boundaries may be. You know, the interesting thing is neither side sees the, their themselves as the as the bad person right both the left yeah. and the right see themselves as the good people and the other right. side is clearly the bad people <laughs> right. and the reality is is that the extremes are not where it's at the, the most of the country lives in the middle yeah. and you know we're being torn from you know one side to the other so and i think a lot mm-hmm. of people are really getting fatigued over it I've, I've read some articles where you know folks that have claimed to be one party or the other are saying they're going to the other side just because they're they're tired of their issues, you know, not being spoken about and, you know, and being lumped in with, with an extremist uh, issue. So have you noticed that people that are speaking the most loudly about their switch, have you seen which, which way they're switching? Have you noticed that? Cause I've, I've, noticed seen, I've seen a lot of articles around Democrats leaving the democratic party. That's because, what I've seen too. That's, you know, it's no longer speaks to them, but right. It'll and be really interesting to see what happens in the election. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I'm not sure what to, 
I mean, I'll be honest, I expect Trump to win just because of what's happening, that they've tried this whole thing with Trump before and it didn't, it didn't impact the outcome of the election like they thought it would, especially with some of the statements that Trump was exposed for making. He did make them, um, but he still won. Yeah, and Trump's so, uh, Trump's not perfect, and you know, no. you know, <laughs> by any stretch, he certainly has his flaws. And uh, I mean, but but if you look at his record overall, he's pretty much done what he said he's going to do. Unlike yeah. politicians we've had for the last forty years, um, and I think that's resonating with a lot of people. Uh, and I think a lot of people are going to give him a pass on, you know, the the negative things that he says because I think a lot of people see that stuff as necessary at the end of the day. Um, because the other side, you know, the Democratic side or the media is being so nasty. And so I think that is sad that 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 environment gives him a pass on some of those things, because I think some of the stuff he says is certainly out there and shouldn't, you know, he should be mm-hmm. a little more presidential. But I can yeah. certainly understand why he said what he said. Sometimes uh, other times I'm just like, whatever, you know. But this, well, this story about, you know, he was talking about uh, or supposedly uh, disparaging, you know, veterans and, you know, who died in war it came yeah. out by the Atlantic to be false. Yeah. And, and I think that's just giving people who are on the fence a reason to not be on the fence anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's well, with the media, you don't have to cite your sources anymore like he used to have to. And so that gives you a lot of right. um, writing liberty. Um, and well, so you got to be really careful in my yeah, opinion. I but. mean, it's, it's, you know, uh, the, the problem that I have is, you know, the guy that wrote that Atlantic article, you know, I think there should be an investigation into it. And I think yeah. there should be some consequences if they find, if they find out that, you know, what he wrote was false or if he was provided false information that, you know, the problem is nobody's going to be held accountable in that situation. They're going to keep doing it. Right. Um, yeah. You know, if and you that's... went to jail because you, you know, or, or at least had a fine, levied mm-hmm. against you or something or or had some sort of uh accountability then you know they right. wouldn't people wouldn't do that but but if there's no accountability exactly. it's going to keep happening well you know that it's exactly right i totally agree with that i'm i have a, my own website i write my own stuff but i'm very careful as to how i present the information that i write because i don't want to be held liable or have somebody come after me with some kind of accountability that includes a lawsuit yeah, well, I you don't want to do that because nobody's right. going to hold you liable. That's that's the <laughs> essential problem that we're talking about. Right. Right? I know. It I is, mean, but for me, that's my personal value is to I don't even want to try to I, I but, hold myself accountable by doing that. But others don't. Right. They're just but, whatever it takes to get their 15 minutes of uh, fame. But that that sword cuts both ways. Right. I mean, if Trump was held accountable for some of the things he oh. said, he, he would certainly be a little more careful about what he said. Right. So, you know, I, so. I, I think it I think it works in both directions. And uh you know, we just all need to be a little nicer to each other and, you know, and <laughs> realize that whoever wins this damn election, it thoroughly doesn't matter. Life is going to go on, you know, yeah. and we're going to keep having conversations around what's the right way to govern. And, um, you know, I mean, history has shown that, you know, all democracies and, uh, you know, things will collapse eventually. Yeah. And so we're, on a 200 plus year experiment we'll see how long we can keep this thing going and <laughs> and then we'll see what the next thing is for this land that we call the united states right yeah i mean uh, we take ourselves historically we're probably pretty close to another civil war and um i think some of the things that we've seen in the media sort of indicate that we're you know we've got a lot of tinder laid for for something like that so yeah you know we'll see yeah i don't know 
Well, in other news, did you see the article that I put up about the U.S. Space Command Center for Kansas? Yeah. We're already <laughs> space <you> cadets. <laughs> right. Bring it on. Did you? Now, do you see there's four cities? So there is um, there are efforts to look at bringing a U.S. Space Command Center, the a headquarters to Kansas. Okay. And there are four cities in Kansas that are being considered. So obviously... You would think, you know, something big like Kansas City, Kansas is one of them. Leavenworth is another. Okay. Wichita makes sense because Wichita has McConnell and some aviation going on here. Um, some of that aviation is defense tied in. Right. And then of all places, of all places they're considering, Derby, Kansas. Well, isn't isn't the base actually in Derby or is it actually no, in Wichita? It's, it is actually, um, it's not considered in either. It's um, government-owned property, but it's closest to um, Wichita. So I don't know how they gained that land. Um, I don't know what all okay. the agreement is, but it is if the, those in the Wichita metro area do consider McConnell Air Force Base to be Wichita. Now, okay. the kids from though that area that live in that area, that's Derby schools. Right. So they're, so like, they're paying Wichita taxes if they pay taxes in the area and are not on base, but those are Derby schools. So yeah, I think um, most people who live off base live in Derby for the most part, right? Or they we live have in Dover or yeah. Yeah, I live in Derby, and so we do have a very uh, large military population. Partially because we are, we are the it's the they go to school here. All those kids go to school here, and mm-hmm. at least at the high school and the middle school and, and whatnot. And so, yeah, we we do have a lot. Uh, we are, we have a strong strong military presence in Derby, and so um, I just thought this was kind of interesting because of all things, Derby has been growing at astronomical rates. Um, it's one of the fastest growing cities. In the state, if not the nation, I think, you know, we've got 25-ish thousand people and we don't mm-hmm. have a, a college or anything. There's nothing that brings people to the city on a regular basis. But we have some interesting <laughs> things to attract people. Like we've got a giant water park and then we've got the giant right. dinosaur park and things well, of that Maybe nature. the Space Command will go there and they can build a highway <laughs> to Derby because I can't oh stand gosh, taking please. Rock Road all the way down there. Please do. Oh my gosh. There's, there's no easy way to get to Derby at all. We just, a highway would be great, but it would take years to construct. But yeah, I yeah. thought this was interesting. I don't know how, I guess, um, proposals had to be made. And so somehow, uh, Derby made a proposal that appealed to, um, to this plan to, to I guess it's a U S space command. I don't know who the people are that are considering this. I need to look back at the, the article. The space force. Space force. <laughs> But so I mean, Der- Derby has, uh, I mean, you know, if you talk about economy retail wise, Derby yeah. has pretty much everything Wichita has. Yep. Yeah, 80, we do. 90% of the, the shopping and things like that. So I, I think it makes sense. It'd be, yeah. uh, be really nice to see, the, you know, a little town like Derby get a big boost uh, from the government yeah. like that. Well, yeah, when we've been, we've got a lot of, I don't think people realize just how far east Derby goes. Well, you can see where the city you know where all the retail and all the residential boundaries are visually when you look at a map we go out further than that we've got a lot okay. of space to work with cool and so it, it does make sense that uh, we would be considered for that because we do have the opportunity for it in terms of real estate i just thought it interesting it's like you're already considering wichita what's what's that big of a difference other than there's some incentives to bring more people to derby right. and in doing that there'll be it'll be a big push an even bigger push because we we do really well on our own um, we mm-hmm. don't seem to have too many problems and we've been growing like crazy and we have multiple parks and we, we have three more, we have some more parks under construction. It's nuts. But I just thought this interesting of all places in the world to pick in Kansas, Derby, Kansas. 
Yeah, that that's was... pretty cool. Up against all the big, big, uh, you know, the big uh, cities in Kansas. Oh, yeah, they're Although... huge. I mean, I don't know how big Leavenworth is, but uh, I know Wichita and Kansas City on the Kansas side, they're still, I mean, Wichita is the biggest city in Kansas because um, Kansas City splits between two states. Um, and the Kansas City, Missouri side is bigger than the Kansas City, Kansas side. Right. But it's still big. So I just, it just amazes me. A town of uh, 25,000. That's pretty awesome. Gaining appeal. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Let's, let's hope it happens. It's time to work that career and lift and push and lift and push. You got it. Now harder lift and push. It's the career workout. So I recently had to engage in a tough conversation with my daughter's school. She goes to elementary school. There was, um, she came home from her second day of school and she was really excited about the first day. She came home the first day and she's like, eh, I'm not as excited as I thought I would be because there's right. a lot of changes the kids are experiencing. And so second day she comes home and says, no, no, I'm really upset. And she tells me that um, there was some information that was shared with the class that's not curriculum based. So it's more, let's call it controversial. Um, and these are 10 year olds. These are fifth graders that this information was presented to and so as the teacher said her statement and it kind of asked it in a question of format, expecting the entire class to answer uniformly, um, there were a couple of kids that disagreed. And mm. the teacher stopped the loudest one and said, that's not correct. This is correct. What I said was correct. That is what you said is not correct. Well, the other kids that were in line with this, this non-conforming child were all like, uh-oh. I mean, they're shaking their heads like, we don't agree, but we're not going to speak up now. And so my daughter came home and said, I don't feel like I can speak up and be wrong about something or express an opinion that's not popular because this boy got in trouble. And I don't want her yelling at me the same way that this kid got yelled at. And it was it was over masks to make it. I mean, it shouldn't have been mentioned. And I mean, we have to wear masks in school. That's fine. But it, there was a bit of a push of an agenda there. And so and I was fine with the whole talking about mask thing, what I was not fine with is my daughter coming home saying, I'm not comfortable to speak openly at school now because I don't want to be yelled at. Right. It's like, no, 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 now we've got an issue. And so that's a tough conversation because you hear that as a parent and you want to get really emotional really quickly. Um, for us moms, it's that mama bear mode wants to be turned on and you want to go attack whoever put your kid down. Um, I'm sure dads have some sort of version like that, but it's probably a little more logical at first. And so, um, I was, I was upset to hear my daughter say that because she's a pretty independent kid. You know, she's pretty, um, she's okay to be herself and she's okay to not be part of the mainstream. So for her to tell me that was pretty, pretty significant. So I had to stop and wait and kind of think through the emotions that I felt and called the school and said, you know, if this is part of the curriculum, that's fine, but it's not what I'm sending my child to school for. So I had to approach this conversation very delicately because I didn't want it to create a defensive response. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not calling the school to control it. And so <clears throat> having those uh, difficult conversations, when you approach somebody with one, and the article does talk about this, um, you don't want to go in thinking the worst and using you statements because it does create a combative response that turns into one of those, you know, it's a fight. And that's right. the difficult part of difficult conversations is, is you got to approach it. So you don't encourage a fight. You literally try to avoid it. And so in approaching this person, she was the uh, one of the, the main decision makers of the school. And, mm -hmm. you know, I first thing I start off with is, do you have a few minutes to talk about my concern? And of mm -hmm. course, the response was, yeah, of course I do. And 
well, here's the thing. Here's what my daughter relayed to me. But you don't want to relay relaying something like that's hard not to relate as as fact. Like this happened, and this is the only way it happened. Right. This person, I agree that my daughter's reality is her perception is her reality. Mm-hmm. But the teacher and other students also have their perceptions and their realities. True. And you, you, it's hard to keep that in mind when you're t- taking on these conversations where you want to be like, you're not going to treat my kid this way because mm-hmm. there's other kids in general to think about. And so, but I also went to this conversation with a goal and it was to express the fact that, well, the, the subject matter is not my favorite. The response that my daughter had is the actual issue. And I had to make that very clear to this person that, if, if you guys are going to talk about this kind of thing, I, it's controversial, probably not the best thing to talk about my opinion. And it may right. be a deciding factor as to whether or not my child attends school there. Mm-hmm. But in the end, because a teacher is considered the right person, they are always right. Right. That's what we were taught in schools. If the teacher says something, it trumps everybody else. You go home and tell your mom and dad, my teacher said, that's not true. And right. you get that fight started. <laughs> and I had to kind of bring up that fact to this person that this is my child is seeing this and she understands that the teacher teaches things because they're the right things to teach. That's what you need mm-hmm. to learn. And then this comes through and now she can't speak up. And, and so what could have been a real hostile, you know, you did this, you did that. How dare you do this? How dare you do that? was one of those. I see what you guys are trying to do. I can appreciate your efforts at the same time. It makes my daughter uncomfortable and we need to figure out how to, to, to negotiate that a little better versus you're yeah. going to change everything for my kid. Because mm-hmm. I remember there's other kids that were with her that felt very similarly. And so the response was very constructive. It wasn't one of defense because I approached it non-defensively. And that person said, right. let me look into this. Let me talk to some people. Let me get some more information. And I was like, yes, please do. I think you should do that. Don't just take my word as this is it. And so that's what this article gives you insight about is being open to the other other ideas, the other perspectives that are available to the situation don't assume that somebody did something negatively on purpose. Most people mm-hmm. don't. Um, avoiding you statements, you did this, you do that, it's your fault. Because that's what people hear when you start using the word you in a statement. They don't hear the, the, the issue, they hear the fault. And they want to fight back and say, it's not my fault. And then one of the biggest parts of the, or one of the biggest uh, tips from this article is that you have to realize you're not going to change somebody's mind. And it's not about changing minds. It's about bringing about a different perspective, bringing mm-hmm. about other ideas. Because when the teachers are putting together these these new curriculums and curriculums that have to meet in-class standards and remote standards, there's a lot of things they're going to miss. Yeah. And so they, they think they're helping and it's causing more issues. And sometimes just constructively sharing your concerns can bring about the, oh, I didn't, I didn't see that before. And that was one thing that this individual I was talking to kept saying, I, I, we didn't think about that. That's right. something to think about. And that's, that's when you, that's when you know, you've got a really good, rich conversation going on versus I'm going to tell you what you're going to do and you're going to do it. That's a Mm -hmm. one way conversation. And you really need to be two ways to, to make it, you know, beneficial. And the fifth, um, the fifth tip was to know when to walk away from the discussion. If I had gotten a lot of, you know, when you're on the phone with somebody and you can kind of hear those nonverbal shrugs, like, okay, whatever, just right say what you need to say so i can get off the phone with you yeah. i'll tell you what you need to hear i really like this one no no one to walk away just yes. no one to fold the cards and know <laughs> when it's over yes and that can be that's very humbling for some people to do to say okay you're clearly not listening to me you're clearly not trying to be a part of this conversation just let it go just change it get away from the conversation you know switch to something else if it's one of those 
situations. In this particular context, I didn't have to. You know, I thank this person for offering to look into it. But ultimately, at the very end of the conversation, I think this is really important, and the, the article doesn't touch on this. I thank this person for having patience and tolerance for my mm -hmm. concerns. Because you teachers, anybody in the school system, there's got to be 2,000 comments, feedback, criticisms, nastiness that comes in on a regular basis. And right. I'm very I'm very aware of that. I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive to that, especially in times like this. And so I wanted this person to know this may seem very petty to some people, and I can appreciate mm -hmm. that. To my child, it's important. And as a, I need to advocate for my child, but I need to do so within reason and not within emotion. And so mm -hmm. that's, I know in, in, in times of work, because that's where I was actually going to go with all this, it's hard to approach people with a concern and not get them to fight back and say, well, it's not my fault if you hadn't done this, that I would have had to do that or just deal with it. Don't care about your perspective. There's a, a really great constructive way to approach these really hard conversations. And the number one thing you should do is hit it as soon as it happens, as soon as you mm -hmm. can address it. Cause the longer you wait, the harder it is going to be. Um, and Chris, you're in a role of management, so you probably know difficult conversations better than anybody. Yeah. They happen <laughs> when you never want to have them happen. <laughs> right. And they're yeah. never comfortable. That's the thing is, um, and what it's, it's, it's hard not to approach those kinds of conversations that are difficult with an uncomfortable feeling. But mm -hmm. I have, I, through my training, I've learned to not be uncomfortable just to go in with, and you know, the purpose of the conversation is to address the fact that in this case, my daughter felt uncomfortable. She doesn't right. feel like she can speak up now because she's scared of that response. That's a trained yep. and conditioned response. That's what I went in there for. Not, I don't agree with mask and you shouldn't do this with mask and blah, blah, blah. It's, my daughter came home with this response. And I'm sure this is something you're also concerned with because she attends your school. And that's mm -hmm. what hit that hot button for that person is, yeah, I don't want her feeling that way. That's not okay. Right. Despite where it came from, we both agreed. And that was finding that common ground and then working from there. Now, I haven't gotten my follow up yet. So I'm hoping something comes up soon. But things I said, I'm sure there are in 2000 other comments aside from my own that are taking up a lot of time. But knowing those, knowing your purpose when you go into those conversations versus if you focus on how uncomfortable you are, it's going to be uncomfortable. And it's going to be harder to focus and get through the conversation. But if you go with a focus and a goal to find common ground, it's a lot easier. And then I think, uh, I think I was reading somewhere where, um, is it Cheryl Sandberg? She's the COO for Facebook or was the CEO for Facebook. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I think I'd was, seen her. Yeah. I had seen a quote from her that said, a, you know, a, go after a, a difficult conversation at least once a week which yeah. is almost asking for trouble. So you need to be very careful how you approach that. Yeah. But it, it's the practice that makes perfect. Certainly the more practice you have, the better off you are. And I think it's also really important to just remember it and keep it unemotional as possible. Yeah. Uh, you know, what you said about, you know, not seeing you, um, mm -hmm. I think is really, really important. So, um, yeah. you know, oh, words, yeah. words do matter and, and it's the subtleties that'll get you in trouble. Yeah, words mean something, and the brain hears what it hears, and that's it's yeah. important to understand what your brain hears. So it's, I thought this was a great article, especially in times like this, when kids are going to be coming home, when people at the workplace are going to have to deal with things they don't like. How do you right. express that without, well, I feel this way because I feel this way. You should make this change. It's mm -hmm. there's feelings are good, but as Ben Shapiro has put it, facts don't care about feelings. Feelings don't always right. have a space to, to work from, get to the logical part of the conversation and stick to that. 
Um, yeah. That's that's how you approach that. That's yep, how you do cool. that. <laughs> What's the next thing you got on here? You got another one that looks similar. <laughs> or, uh... It's similar because as I got to thinking about this, um, it started making me remember some of the stuff that my girlfriends um, are, are sharing with me. I, I attend a, I go to dinner every Wednesday night with some girlfriends of mine. And uh-huh. we always talk about the different things that we're challenged with, the things that right. we're trying to work through, things that are working for us. And so one of the things that's come up in our conversations repeatedly is um, people that are in positions of, of power or our bosses or whatnot and how we can see something is not going right, but the boss can't seem to. And how mm-hmm. do you make that? How do you have that conversation? So what, several things I've seen go wrong is where somebody tells the boss, you're doing it wrong. And this is how you're doing it wrong. And it was presented in such a negative, faulty fashion, that person wasn't part of the team for very much longer. Mm-hmm. And so it's not anything I've experienced lately. It's been in previous lifetimes, as a, we like to put it in terms of our previous jobs. But there's um, one individual I was talking to recently, and, and they said, I would really like to express this to my boss, but once I do, I have a target on my back and mm-hmm. I'll be out. They will, they'll find a way to fire me and because they've seen it happen with other people. And so... Um, I know some people are going to look at this article and think there's no way that this is going to happen because my boss is not reasonable. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> I think one of the things that this um, this article points out is this only works with reasonable people. Yeah, You can't have an unreasonable boss and this be um, an effective way to go about it, but it can give you ideas. So um, it just talks about how approaching your boss with some concerns about things that they're doing that may not be working very well um, or maybe wrong altogether. And one of the things is do your homework. So um, I know that anytime you want to convince somebody of doing something, you want to have something to evidence it. What makes mm-hmm. your idea work? Why do you have data for it? And I think data is super important. We're not all data hounds, but you should know what, why you're approaching somebody, especially your boss with information to tell them this isn't working. You need to know why it's not working. And that's, uh, that's a Simon Sinek thing is know your why. Um, Check your motives. <laughs> Sometimes we get a little too emotional about our boss and you want to tell them they're wrong, but just because you're ticked off with them and that's not the time to do it. And I think mm-hmm. that's where a lot of people end up making a major mistake is they don't have the right, their heart's not in the right place. Um, so always know why you're approaching your boss with something. Is it because you're mad about something they did or didn't do? Or is it because this is going to hurt the company otherwise or this is going to hurt the project or right. you can't complete your job without having um, your boss be aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Time it right. <laughs> Timing is a big part of conversations. You don't want to pick a time your boss is already upset with something else or, you know, yeah. you know what a good time is. Yeah, um, timing is critical. I agree. And that's, is, you've got to be, a, I can't imagine Chris, but you've had to have been in positions where the time was not right. And somebody from your team is like, blah, 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 blah thing. And you're like, really right now? Like at this very moment, I know it's like eighty percent of my day. I'm like, really? <laughs> Do I have to deal with this right now? Are you kidding me? You know, like of, of all the important things I have to do, this is floating to the top, and and you know, it's usually not when I say that. It's usually not uh, around my you know direct reports coming in talking to me about something. Usually, it's you know some fire that's come up that you know right. is just piddly little stuff. But well, that, and this is that a fire that could have been somehow previously communicated before, but could it have been a, a little bit of smoke before it became a fire? Like yeah. it goes back to that. Why didn't you say something sooner? Why are you waiting until it's almost not, rep- you know, we can't take care of it before you say something. 
And that's a big thing too, is you got to have a good relationship or at least a good enough relationship with yourself to approach your boss to say, I'm going over my head. This isn't going to work. Or we've run into this situation and it's, we need some help type of thing. Yeah. Um, or so, we tried your idea and it's not working, but knowing when to present that information is crucial. Yeah. A couple of things that I'll give as tips, I think that, that are helpful is, um, you know, it can be helpful to, um, you know, like you said, ask, is this a good time? Do you have some time to talk yes. about this, you know, first, and then, you know, don't approach it as, you know, you're being authoritative or telling them what's up kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to, you know, you can frame it as a question. Hey, I, I want to ask more about this because this is how I feel about that. And, mm -hmm. or when you do this, it makes me feel like that. Are you aware that that's happening? You know, th that kind of a conversation can be much more uh, proactive than just, you know, barging into your boss's office and saying, you're a jerk and you do everything wrong. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Have you, I mean, have you ever as, been a part of that conversation where somebody's just busted into your office and in, start off with insults like that? Has that ever happened to you? Uh, not in recent memory. I mean, I, I was at a job in Louisiana and, uh, we had somebody that, that was doing that, but it turned out they were not taking some medication they were supposed to take and <laughs> no. were completely not <laughs> right in the head. Um, and so, you know, there was an explanation, but, um, you know, I've seen it where, where people are just gonna, you know, they're kind of at their end of the rope and they're going to go tell the okay. boss what's up. And, you know, usually it doesn't turn out all that positive, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, and I, my management styles may be different from, you know, other managers, but, you know, I like to be collaborative and, and I'm also of the mindset of, um, you know, you can always be improving in some way. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, that feedback from my team, I think is really critical. And, um, but, you know, you have to have a manager who is open to change, right? Because some, yeah. some managers and some tasks are just, this is the way it is, this is the way we're going to do it. And that there's no deviation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it just depends a lot on what your team does and, you know, how critical it is to follow a process. I mean, yeah. I know on the team that I manage, we, we deal with so many different things that, you know, we're inventing processes at time and at yeah. times. And uh, so, yeah, it's um, I think it's all very situationally dependent, but certainly uh, trying to have a conversation with them, uh, rather than telling them, you know, what they're going to do. Um, I can almost say if somebody barges into my office and tells me what I'm going to do, uh, there's like a 99% chance that's not what I'm going to do. <laughs> right. I cannot, I mean, I'm, I'm not the kind of person to barge in. First off, I don't barge in anywhere I go. I always knock first. Or, I bet okay. I cannot... <laughs> or, or what's worse than barging in is making an omnibus uh, meeting notice either at the very last second with no topics assigned to it mm -hmm. or uh, sticking one out there like three weeks in advance, yeah. you know, like meeting with boss. And then there's no, no title other than that. Uh, there's no description. And you're just like, what is this? Like, <laughs> You know, this could be literally about anything right. and, and that can cause some anxiety. And I think, you know, when, when people do that, it, it kind of starts the meeting off on a wrong foot because the yeah. manager's anxious because they don't know what the hell you're talking about. You know, they don't know if you're going to walk in there and quit or, you know, if you're going to file a complaint or, yep. I mean, you know, our, our minds tend to go to those very negative things as, you know, as managers, because those are the things that are kind of most difficult to deal with. Right. Um, yeah. you know, if somebody puts some thing on my, on my calendar, I'm not thinking, well, they're probably going to bring me cupcakes that day or, 
you know, they're going to come in and tell me what a wonderful boss I am. You know, it's just not where your mind goes. It goes to the negative uh, naturally. So I think you said something very important and I don't know if you, you, I mean, obviously I picked up on it. You said, you know, when you plan something out that far ahead without any information as to what the meeting is, it, it causes anxiety. And that's something I think people forget. Managers are humans too. You know, right. bosses are humans too. Oh, we are. And yeah. I mean, no, we're robots. <laughs> we're... We are the robot management. We will follow the rules. You're not helping yourself. <laughs> oh, come on now. I'm going to use that now. I'm so. I'm going I need somebody to record that. So if you're listening on Chris's team, please record that robotic response. Drone call 62714.3 says we cannot do that. That's a donutable concern. You're going Oh, don't get me started. Let's explain that someday on the show. Oh, we're going to now. <laughs> so, but I think that's important to realize you're, you, our bosses are people too. They have emotions too. They don't like doing half the stuff they do, and they're not going to show you that they don't like it. That's part of the leadership that they have to embrace is preventing you as the as part of team members from seeing when they're upset or overly concerned or, you know, overwhelmed because they're, they're leading the team and they, the speed of the team is the speed of the leader. And so that's something to be very critical of as you get upset with your boss and go in there. And this goes to mind your language and escalate your concern. These are points five and six of the article. Think about what you're going to say and how they feel. And a, right. a, a really good example of that I was laid off from a previous employer Loved working for my boss. Abs he was great. Absolute wonderful mentor. I think I drove him crazy a few times. So if you're listening, so sorry about that. <laughs> but so when he had to lay me off, he felt terrible. You know, right. and you could tell he was not okay with well, that. He wasn't expecting it. And so trying to relay this information to me, and he's like, I respect you too much. I'm just gonna put this out there. They've reduced your position and then there's nothing I can do. And it's like, you know what? I feel bad for you because I'm a single mom and you have to give me this information. I feel really right. bad for you. Whereas most people be like, a lot of people that day, because a lot of us got laid off, are like, screw you and da 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 da. And they were angry and irritable and they took it out in their boss. And I'm like, man, I feel bad for you. I don't yeah. want to lay off a single mom well, with three kids, you know? You and, know, having been in that position, having having to lay people off really, really sucks as a manager uh, uh, or a supervisor. And, you know, it's just, it, it is emotionally it takes an emotional toll on you and the emotionally affects you for a long time afterwards. Like, you know, a couple of weeks for sure. And, and probably a couple of months. Yeah. Then that's the thing that going back to managers have to deal with things that reports don't have to deal with. And that's one of them. These things right. are highly impactful to you as you just described. Yeah. I and mean, that's a, good, to a good manager will act as a capacitor. You know, a good manager will make sure that their directs are only getting information that's really, truly important to them. And they don't hear all of the sort of up and down back chatter, you know, that, that may give them anxiety or things, something like that. So, right. um, you know, I think, you know, one of our jobs as a good manager is to, you know, make sure our teams are informed, but they're not, getting all of the chatter that could uh, could really drive crazy. And that's and, and that's all very I think that's things to keep in mind as you approach your boss with things that need to be changed and with things that are wrong. Yeah. Uh, and the, the last thing that I will say about this, I think, is um, position yourself as the solution, not as the problem. Exactly. Right. Yeah, if you go in there and advice. say, hey, I've noticed that this and this has been happening and I, and I think we should do this about it. Um, that's way more helpful than going in and saying, you're doing this and you're doing that and that's causing me this and you, you right. suck. And you know, I mean, yep. you should always try and pose yourself as part of the solution, not part of the problem. And, and, you know, your career will go a lot further. Uh, you know, that's, 
That's so true. I, I, one of my favorite bosses and I have, I have a current boss that does this and a previous boss that does, had done this as well is come to me with any problem you want, but come to me with your own solution. And we, that's been very clear. Um, and it's been, it, that's how I've been the most successful in my positions too, is like, I cannot only go and say, this is not working that you did or that you assigned or that you created, but I have another option for that. Right. And that's always, that's a great way to build that relationship into, you know, be a problem solver, not a problem creator. Um, but, but even if you don't come with a solution, you know, you can come with a problem and say, can you help me fix this? Right. You're going to get a lot better uh, conversation out of right. your manager than if you just come say, Here, here's the problem and you suck. <laughs> you know, that's, that's Probably just not, not advisable well. to use you suck, but yeah. Well, and that's, that's kind of the, 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 we'll touch on the last two points before we move on. So we're running short on time, but um, admitting to your own mistakes and letting go. Sometimes some of the things that, um, you're, you think your boss is doing wrong or things you are actually doing wrong yourself and you haven't made that connection. Or sometimes the concern is not really a concern that's going to be long lasting. Sometimes you just have to let things go. There's a song about it. Look it up. Because some things are just not worth fighting for. Some things are not uh, bad enough to bring about. They're not going to impact the project or the the task or the right. company in such a fashion that it's worthwhile. Some things like when I know there's been a time where I brought something up that was probably looking bad now pretty petty. Um, but mm -hmm. I went to my boss about it. I'm like, this is really irritating me and I can't do this much more. So my solution is that either I bodily harm this person or you do something about it. And I was told, okay. Right. <laughs> and it ended up being something that annoyed a lot of people. But going back, it's like, could I have let that go? It's like, eh, maybe, but it really needs to be addressed. So really look at your problem, evaluate it before you go to your boss and say, this is wrong. And you're wrong because of all this. And re really think about the problem before. Pick your battles. Let's talk tech. You're in the IT corner. All right. So I have a, uh, an, uh, so here in the IT corner, we can talk about uh, technical stuff or the random stuff we buy. And I took my son and I went to Colorado for a couple of days and we did some hiking and some camping. And uh, one of the things I bought for this trip was the Jetboil Minimo camping stove. What in the world? And it, what it is, is, um, it's a, uh, you know, when you backpack, obviously you want to be as light as you can because, yeah. you know, everything goes on your back. Um, so what this is, is basically a cup that has a base on it that integrates with a, a, a small stove and it's a, a alcohol based fuel and it has a little igniter on it, but you, you screw the uh, alcohol fuel can onto it and then, um, put water in the cup and then you can basically just boil water. Um, so it's a very simple concept. And of course there's backpacking food that you can take this now boiling water and pour it into a pouch and seal it up. And then, you know, after a few minutes, you now have a meal that you can eat that's hot, which is on the trail, which is pretty cool. So anyhow, got this thing for camping, you know, kind of always wanted one of these, you know, since I was in Boy Scouts way back when, but this was a little bit too high dollar for, for me back then. And now I'm just like, screw it. I'm going to buy this because it's cool and we're backpacking and, uh, even though we really did car camping, you know, it was just kind of fun to to have it. And we do enough camping where, you know, it's kind of a useful thing to have when you don't want to exactly bring out all the big camping gear, right? You can just throw this in a little backpack and you're good to go. So it's good for uh, for making those, you know, those backpacking meals. But what it also makes is coffee. Coffee on the trail is especially good tasting because, you know, when you're out there and it's, you know, early morning, 
But the way that it makes coffee is really interesting. It's a uh, French press. And uh, I don't yeah. know, have you ever made French press coffee? I love French press. It's my absolute favorite next to a pour over. Wonderful. So this thing has, uh, the inside of this thing is a bowl, is a stainless cup, right? And it's a precision diameter. And so uh, you can buy the French press kit for this. Oh, and it's yeah. basically a screen with a, you know, kind of a rubber edge around it. And you boil the water, turn the heat off, uh, put your coffee in, let it sit for, I think, three or four minutes. Then you can take this French press plunger and sort of press it down. And then you can pour your coffee out. And it's nice. really, really good. Uh, so we oh got the uh, New Orleans uh, New Orleans French roast uh, with the chicory. And uh, my son and I both enjoyed coffee every morning oh. out on the camping trip. Nice. That's a fun little one if you're, if you're into camping. <laughs> Welcome to Media Madness. So what have you got here? You've got a workout app? I do. So um, it's not very well known. I had surgery, major surgery back in uh, May. And up until about five months before surgery, I was working out three times a, way, three times a day. I came down mm -hmm. sick with something I'm pretty sure was COVID or COVID-ish because I lost all of my breathing. I, I was really right. great at my breathing. And because I was running, I was um, biking, I was walking. I was super active, doing yoga. And so three times a day, 30 minutes each time. So an hour and a half of working out, got sick, had all this stuff happen that required surgery, had surgery. I was trying to get back into, you know, my, my fit mode. And so mm -hmm. in doing that, I, for some reason, had these people talking to me about biking. And I thought, well, you know, I'll go get a bike. So I got a bike back in July, mid-July, got a bike. And I'd forgotten, I used to bike as a kid. Oh, for hours mm -hmm. and hours and hours, literally be gone all day long. And I've forgotten how much I love it. So back into biking within a week, I was biking 10 miles a day. And so that's what I do is I bike 10 miles a day now. And so I get out early in the morning and I have to have been using this app to walk with. And so I started using it to do my bike rides with because, you know, kind of want to keep track of what you're doing, how fast you're going, how far you're going out. And so this right. is a great little app. Now, this is just the app that I was using. Um, I started using this app a few years ago um, for uh, walking challenges that I would take on with work. And so this will do um, almost any activity you can think of. You can pick from a whole slew of activities. And it's just one of many apps out there. I'm actually now trying out different apps. So Pacer, this is the app, is one of them. Strava, it's either Strava or Strava. I don't exactly know how it's pronounced, but that's another one. Strava. Is it Strava? Is, is what I've heard, yeah. Um, and then, then there is Cyclo, Cyclometer that I'm kind of toying around with. So I'm trying to find the one that works best. And so if, you, mm -hmm. if you're listening and you have any... Um, any insight, you know, share it with us. Um, you can email the show. We'll give you the email at the end of the show. But I like this because I can set out a safety beacon. And this is, I had the free version up until recently. So with the free version, you can send out a safety beacon. So in the morning, because I ride around 4, 35 o'clock in the morning. And so mm -hmm. it's dark. People are tired when they're driving and I'm on a bike. So my chances of getting hit are pretty good. So I right. send out this beacon in case something happens to me and somebody can come find me. And I send it mm -hmm. out to three particular individuals so that there's always somebody available. But it'll track how far I've gone. It'll map. You know, it's, it's, it uses a GPS to map where I've been at, how far I've been out. It'll, um, it calculates the calories. I'm a little sketchy on how well those things will track calories if they're not attached to me. But it's just mm -hmm. really neat to see um, your progress as you're you know, improving, as you're trying to train or whatever it is. Because it'll train you. There's workouts involved with it. You can schedule things. You can work with a coach all mm -hmm. kinds of different stuff. And so all these apps work pretty similarly. Uh, what I like about this particular app is it gives you splits. So as I'm biking, 
the app will speak to me every five minutes to say five minutes and X amount, X, Y, Z miles you've gone. And, you know, so it's kind of neat. And then at the end of my ride, um, I'll go back and look where, where did I hit mile one at? Where did I hit mile two at? So Mm -hmm. I get a a time version and then a a distance version between the two, which I really like. Not all the apps do that. Strava does not do that, Mm -hmm. Um, but it does offer the social aspect. So you can connect with other people and it's very popular for that. Um, Yeah. And the the only thing I don't like about either Strava or Pacer, they don't have a dark setting. It's just that light bright setting. So it is. So in the morning when you're biking and it's dark out, the last thing I want is this bright shining light coming down from underneath because it's, this is hooked onto mm-hmm. my, my bike um, handlebars. But Cycle Meter has a dark version. Other apps have a dark version. So I'm hoping they'll provide that dark version because it would be nice to see, you know, like if you are on, if you're in the gym and you're watching the, the meter, you know, when you have all the metrics in front of you, it's kind of nice to see how fast you're going. And that way yeah. you can kind of push yourself. It's the only thing I would change about this app but I, I, so far, I think I'm going to stick with this one. I really, really like it um, other than the, the dark setting. But so if you're into activity and you're looking for a nap, this is a great one to start with. I'm sure there's ones that are better out there. Like I said, I'm still kind of doing my own research, but I'd love to hear from somebody to tell me what they're, I've heard from, you know, I've looked on Facebook and heard some, some insight, but I'd like some feedback from, from listeners out there to tell me what they're yeah. using and what they use it for. So you're using the Pacer one that you're talking about, right? Yep. I use, I've been okay. using that one and I'm having a hard time. So somebody said, why don't you just switch over to another app like Strava? It's like, well, the problem is Pacer won't interface with other apps very well. It doesn't like to play well with others. Mm. Strava and CycleMeter will interact so I can use CycleMeter and it'll send the information to Strava and then people mm-hmm. can see what I've done on Strava or Strava. Um, the Pacer app won't do that. And that's the one I've been using since I started cycling. And according to Pacer, I've done almost 420 miles since July 18th. And it's wow. really cool to see that number. And I like that number growing to see how far I've gone. And it just, that's my mental thing for me. Other people are like, well, what does it matter? Well, it doesn't right. matter to you. It matters to me. So I'd like to have a way to export the information from Pacer to somewhere else. I haven't found that yet. I need to check the, uh, there's some health apps that are, preset on our phones. I think my health or I health or something on the iPhone, you know, they all have that on there. I need to mm-hmm. check and see. I know those two are talking, so I don't know if it exported all the information, but that's a big thing for me to see how far I've cycled all together. Um, I right. love looking at that because according to my map or according to my, my pacer app, I've already gone to further than Kansas city on my bike, you know, theoretically. Wow. So I kind of like that. Like, so I've how much is far. the subscription version of this thing? Do you know? Yeah. The, um, I think for the pacer, I want to say that one was $29.99 for the year. Um, oh, that's not Strava, bad. No, there, there's different tiers for different levels. And I had hit the premium on, on Strava and Pacer. The Cycle Meter app was only $10 bucks a year, $9.99. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, that's, and it has a lot, a lot of options. A lot of, you, you're, you're a serious cycler if you're on that app, it's clear. Because um, it's mm-hmm. meant solely for cycling, but it'll it'll measure up other things for you. But, and if this is one of those things too, people like the Strava app because it, people wear heart monitors, they wear these different gadgets and tools on them. And, you know, their bikes have, you know, different things attached to them to speak to the phone. And there's a whole, whole world of technology attached to activity and and apps. And, you know, everybody's like, get a Garmin watch and get the heart rate monitor. I'm not into that. I'm just very, I'm a minimalist with that kind of data. So to me, it's just like, I just want to see how far I'm going, how quick I'm going my routes. I want to mm-hmm. see my routes look like done. Whereas I have another person who's like, 
I can't run this fast on this day because my heart rate for that day is supposed to be this, but tomorrow I can do that because my heart rate has to be this. And it's like, that is way too much for me. Right. I appreciate people can do that. I cannot yet. So I just thought this was a great thing to share with others who are looking for a way to kind of monitor just their overall general health, which is where I'm at after having that surgery and kind of starting back from zero on my fitness. This is mm -hmm. a great way for me to, to really get myself back into the groove of things and, yeah. um, don't think I'll become a pro at it, but I certainly like what I'm getting out of it. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I just downloaded the app and it looks like I can invite you as being a friend on here. Yeah, so they do. That is cool. They, each other. Yep. I'll beat that's you. That's pretty cool. And I, I like the, mm -hmm. the safety um, uh, deal. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Where you can yeah. have up to, as you said, three people that. Well, that you can, can put as uh, many. I have three, but it, it allows for more. That's what I like about the Pacer app. The free version that I've used for the last several years, I could always send that beacon out. So when I was walking or right. riding or whatever, I could always send that out. Strava and Cyclometer require you to pay for that particular mm. feature. Okay. So it's like, oh, you know, that's kind of a, one of those things like, between a dark setting and people knowing how to find me after I've been hit, <laughs> I need them to yeah. find me or at least now find my you, phone. Do you use this with the Apple watch? I don't have an Apple watch and um, okay. apparently oh. I need one. I've been told that, <laughs> that I was expected to have one. They, everybody was like, you don't have an Apple watch. What? I was well, like, my phone's cool always I, in hand. I just installed this thing and it downloaded the last seven days of my phone activity. So it tells <laughs> me how much I walked each day for the last week, which is kind of sweet. Yes. So. That's awesome. Yeah, there's different groups. Every app has got different groups. And so I've got groups on the Pacer app. And now that I'm paying for it, I'm getting more more into it. And okay. uh, I, well, I, well, I would can, like to have more people on there to really utilize the Pacer each app. Other and we'll figure out a way to put it on the website if people want to join our, our group here and we can challenge yeah. each other. So that would be kind of fun. That would be fun. I'd do that. Yeah. yeah I would do that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you have to check out the routes. You'll recognize one route because I think you've been on a bike ride with me before. And Derby's not flat. It's, no, there's some hard it's, routes over it's here. Let's flat them canned over here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's crazy, but yeah, that's cool. That's what I recommend. What about you? What do you got? Uh, so I've got the Lincoln Lawyer. I finally broke down and watched this movie because it was on Hulu, and I didn't have to pay to watch it because uh, you know I'm just getting tired of paying for everything. So, <laughs> um. Yeah, this is, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is a Matthew McConaughey film where he's a lawyer and he kind of works out of the back of his Lincoln and he's, you know, kind of straddles that line of being kind of shady and but being legit, you know. And uh, so anyhow, it's, it's a really good movie, uh, very Matthew McConaughey-ish. Uh, di didn't have any of his catchphrases in it, unfortunately. All right, uh, I was all kind right, of waiting for that. Right. Yeah, I was waiting for that. Didn't happen. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, very entertaining movie. It does have some twists and turns in it. It's a little bit predictable, but you know, just kind of a good flick to sit there and eat some popcorn and relax uh, on a Saturday night. So nice. Definitely very would, cool. uh, would recommend it. Uh, I'm a know, big it's, McConaughey it's not too fan. bad around the kids. If, if you, you know, if you've got kids, that kind of thing. So sweet. I'll have to look at that. I love watching him. I, truth be told, I dated a guy who looked just like him back in high school. So I've always been kind of partial to that. Well, too bad he wasn't him because then now you. Oh, right. yeah. Might not let that one go. That might have been. <laughs> I, I might have held on to that. I could put. I could uh -huh. tolerate a lot of crap to. Yeah. So we we thank all of you for listening to this episode of the Biz and Mayhem podcast. If you like the show, uh, give us a little love by posting a review on iTunes, and don't forget to to send us a few bucks on Patreon or PayPal. 
uh, we'll love you forever because it's uh, making a podcast is not free to get the show notes for this episode head over to bizandmayhem.com that's b-i-z-a-n-d-m-a-y-h-e-m.com and look for season one episode 13 you can subscribe to the show on itunes or wherever you get your podcast and until next time have some fun in the mayhem The Biz and Mayhem podcast is produced by Check 6 Creative Studio. If you have a podcast or have been wanting to start one, let us know. We'd love to help you produce and edit your podcast. We'd also love to work with your business on marketing and video production. Visit us on the web at check6studio.com. That's C-H-E-C-K-S-I-X-S-T-U-D-I-O.com. Let us know you heard about us on the Biz and Mayhem podcast.